and welcome to Honestly Cat, the podcast full of life lessons that empowers, educates and enlightens women everywhere. It's my mission to show you just how gorgeous you are and give you the tools to upgrade and transform all areas of your life. So let's get started. Welcome to my eight-week pop-up podcast to celebrate the launch of my debut book, Born to Shine, The Modern Woman's Guide to a Happier Life. Over the coming weeks, I'll be exploring and discussing many of the subjects that I cover in my sparkly and transformational book. This series, I'm talking to various women who are shining examples of ladies who are living their purpose and fulfilling their passion. It is said the woman's seat of power is the womb. When we shut down this part, we shut down our very essence. In ancient times, women were revered. They were considered goddesses. They were honoured in many indigenous cultures as the bearers and creators of life. But until recently, this wisdom has been buried for centuries with our ancestors. There is a movement of women around the globe to finally understand their bodies, its power and its wisdom. One of my greatest discoveries during my awakening was the power of a woman's womb. Yeah, I know seriously... I had no idea that we stored so many emotions, old memories, as well as trauma in this amazing organ. But sadly, that special pink and squidgy place is shamed these days and not given the time or care that it needs. As soon as I honoured the cycles of my womb and got in tune with my cyclical self, life got rosier and easier for that matter. Did you know women's menstrual blood has the most abundant free source of stem cells available to humankind? It's rich in stem cells which can lead to healing a wide variety of diseases such as strokes, heart disease, Parkinson's, wounds, diabetes and even neurodegenerative diseases. Now who would have thought that? Our menstrual cycles and stages of life are intrinsically linked to the cycles of the earth, moon and sun. Oh, and this is a good one. Around ovulation, you have greater access to your vocabulary, maybe by as many as 200 words. This is the time to ask for what you want and nail those discussions with all those extra words you've got in your head. Our wombs are not just about growing babies. They are the source of our creativity we can tune in to the creative potential of the universe. It is from this place we can birth our dreams into reality. And check this out. A labouring uterus exerts incredible pressure to push a baby out into the world and is the strongest force exerted by any muscle in the female body. Now that's amazing. It's believed that if we tend to our feminine parts, menopause and the symptoms associated become a lot easier to handle. On top of that, if we give our lady bits the care and attention they are due, then our menstrual symptoms lessen, our creativity heightens and our overall well-being improves. I see it in my practice as a hypnotherapist over and over again. When a woman comes to me with issues within her uterus, whether it's endometriosis, fibroids, thrush, or even infertility, and when we journey through their consciousness into their subconscious, the physical ailments are always a manifestation of a repressed memory, feelings of enough, and shaming of our feminine traits. Lisa Lister opened my eyes to this new world in her book, Love Your Lady Landscape, and then I met Hilary Lewin. 
the thinking wombs woman, and she opened my eyes to how to really care for my uterus. Don't forget you can purchase my book on Amazon and at all major bookstores, or simply just head to my website, catraincock.com. Our honesty cat this week is the thinking wombs woman, Hilary Lewin. She is an Arvigo therapist, teacher, co-conspirator, and sometimes even magician. She certainly cast her magic spell across my womb, and today I believe she will do the same for you. As you listen today, before we go any further, I want you to place your hands on your womb and tune into the energy there. Breathe into the space and relax. Make that connection, and then let's begin. Welcome to the show, Hilary. Firstly, tell us all about how you got to where you are now and that you are this amazing woman with all this wisdom about the womb. <clears throat> well, um, you know, a bunch of serendipitous uh, occasions, as with all of the great stories. Um, I was a massage therapist after my children were born and uh, I was thinking, well, I wanted to do something to earn a living that would allow me to mother as well. And so I discovered massage and I had both my kids at home and my clients were getting pregnant as I went along and I ended up becoming a doula, having no idea that such a thing as a doula existed. And in fact, went on to uh, found Doula UK, which is the organisation for doulas um, here in Britain. And as a result of that, I heard about the work of Rosita Arvigo. And it just inspired me because it was two worlds coming together. It was the world of the womb and the birth and massage um, uh, along with some really beautiful wisdom. I mean, everybody has a relationship with the womb. We've either got one or we've been in one. Mm. So the womb itself is fundamental to all of life. It's the most creative organ in the body. And uh, I don't just work with wombs. I work with the whole body. But the abdomen is where we hold all our emotions and our issues. And um, I just read that you heard the expression for the first time yesterday, your issues are in your tissues. Um, And that's so true. So when we work into our belly, um, there was a guy called Reich who was a student of Freud, and he did a lot of work about how we hold emotions in our body. Um, But when we start to work into our bodies and we start to do the self-care massage that we as our Vigo therapists teach, it takes us on a really beautiful journey to find out what it is we're hanging on to and to start to notice when we go into patterns of tension and holding and gives us tools to let go. Why don't we know uh, as a society about the power and creativity within our womb? Um, I think we once did. I think it got lost along the way with so much other information. Um, You know, we could talk about patriarchy um, and that would give us some understanding as to why we could talk about when medicine became science or when medicine met science. Um, And it's just taken a very long while for science to catch up with the fact that emotion um, affects us on a cellular level. And so that's why this time is ripe. And we're seeing so many people actually embracing both in the mainstream and in subcultures, working with the body. And there's doctors who now diagnose walking as a, you know, walking with other people, um, rather than antibiotics or antidepressants. So we really are starting to learn that how we treat our body and how we live in it is going to have as much as an impact on our health as the medicines that we take. 
Some people say Western the, the Western medical system offers what can generally be described as the butchery of a he, of a female body, which compounds you know the problems of estrangement from the physical and metaphysical womb, and and I guess reinforces the myth that we are unable to heal ourselves. How do you see how modern society is treating the womb, like with things like hysterectomy and C sections? Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I'd like to say about C-sections is I love to hear them referred to as cesarean births because mm-hmm. um, we section people with mental health problems. And actually, that woman gives birth no matter how the baby comes out of her belly. Yeah. Um, and yeah. that's a really, really beautiful thing that's going around the world where I've seen women who uh, had a cesarean maybe 20, 30 years ago. And when you say, no, let's just call it a cesarean birth their face just softens and sometimes tears will be shed to actually be able to accept the fact that, yes, I did give birth. But, um, you know, I don't want to malign modern medicine because it does wonderful things. There's been times in my life when I had pneumonia and antibiotics probably saved my life. And for some women, a cesarean or a hysterectomy is going to be exactly what they need in that moment. But we need to, there's two things. One, we need to be able to understand what support women need around those kind of procedures. Um, we're not just whipping out a useless bleeding or cancer producing organ when we do a hysterectomy. Um, we are we are doing something which we believe to be right, but it needs to be honoured. And um, if we brought the spirit into the operating theatre and if women were allowed time for counselling both before and after and ceremony, um, ceremony and ritual being a huge part of healing, uh, I think women would find those procedures much easier to integrate into their lives. And if we had a full understanding of how and why our body works, if we were taught that from school age, then maybe we wouldn't end up in places where those those procedures were needed. Maybe we would have been able to have a look at diet and lifestyle and um, emotional trauma before we even got to that point. Um, it's interesting that you should say about the cesarean birth. I actually, with, with my two children, my first one was um, an emergency cesarean and my second one was an elective because I was fearful of going through the whole process of labor and then having an emergency one in the end anyway. So I, I guess I elected for what I thought was the safest option. But when I've done work on myself and I've explored my um, experience of birth, I very much, my mother had three natural births and I think there's a tendency to if, if a friend or a mother or we we live, we, we attempt to live up to this, this perfect birth story and it's not always like that. And with the, like you say, the, the term C-section, you're quite right that the way in which that's described and from now on, I will always use cesarean birth. And I love that idea because I felt disappointed that I couldn't do it myself, even though beforehand I was scared of giving birth. Um, but I did believe that my body was capable of it. And in the end, you know, for whatever reason, it it it, it didn't quite happen. And I had an emergency cesarean. But you're right, in 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 reframing that, that helps women to to deal with what what is usually a traumatic experience and to remove some of the shame because exactly women have shame that they weren't good enough and they didn't manage to achieve what 
so many other women achieve and for whatever reason. But often it'll be maybe because of um, trauma to the womb prior to even getting pregnant or it yeah. might be to do with the experience of the hospital or the home that they're giving birth in that conditions weren't optimal or people around that mother were more anxious than was necessary. So um, a woman doesn't give birth in a vacuum. Uh, she gives birth as a result in a, in a situation where every single person in the room is having an effect on the process. And if there is fear from other people in the room, then uh, that might be what's slowing down a birth. And Michelle O'Don, Dr. Michelle O'Don, um, a French obstetrician, he questions whether men should even be in the birthing room at all, that it's oh, women's really? work. Um, because he believes that men will often bring um, a fix-it attitude and uh, elevated amounts of fear to the birthing mm. room. And that's not always helpful to the woman. And so with the doula work that you do, do you, do you, how do you work in the, in the um, room with the mother? And also, if this is about getting your womb into a good place, like you say, before you even get pregnant, is our Vigo massage something we should be doing, you know, not just after we've had children or not just absolutely, after, you know, later absolutely. life? Absolutely, yeah. So in Central America, where the work that I do in particular um, came from, um, they believed that if a, a girl child had any fall or landed on her coccyx um, and you know damaged her her sitting bone in any way, that was akin to a medical emergency, and she would go and see the local bone healer and get her pelvis um, manipulated and corrected back into optimal health and shape, because. Our uterus is suspended. It's like a cat's cradle by ligaments, um, which hold the uterus in position in the pelvic bowl. And for whatever reason, our uterus can become tipped forwards or backwards or from one side to the other. Uh, the optimal blood flows and nerves might be impinged, so they're not getting quite as much energy as they as the womb needs. So if we were to, um, and I love working with young women, if young women are, were able to learn this work and the self-care massage that Dr. Rosita Arvigo developed um, from, from the beginning, then we would have, the uterus would be in optimal position and health when we entered pregnancy. And therefore, a lot of those conditions and getting regular massage throughout pregnancy, I mean, that is an absolute gift for women to have regular massage because it improves the blood flow to the uterus, it improves the blood flow to the baby, it makes that woman feel lighter and more buoyant. And so then when she arrives at the point of time when she's ready to give birth, she's in the best shape she can be emotionally, physically and spiritually. And therefore she has a better chance of giving birth in a way that suits her. Having said that, um, a cesarean birth, I've been at cesarean births, I've been at completely medicalized hospital births and they are every bit as beautiful and as spiritual and as perfect as the home birth with a couple of oms and a candle and a, mm -hmm. you know um, a cup of herb tea so I don't want women to feel like they have to turn themselves into purple wearing hippies because mm. that the birth is you know whatever the birth process it's a 
a woman has to go to a space where you don't go to in any other time in your life, where it's where the veil is very thin, um, is one way of, of saying it. And it doesn't matter how we get there. The important thing is we come back from there. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I love the the, the idea that the veil is very thin. I mean, it, it is a, an amazing process to, to, I mean, I remember the day that I had my first child, like it, you're really taken to a place that you've never been before yeah. and and that and the way that you describe it and and actually that's similar to death they say that at that point in those very special moments before someone passes on again the veil is very thin I've been at um, <clears throat> births of many babies and I've been at quite a lot of deaths as well and a good birth is every bit as beautiful as a good death or vice mm. versa um, a good death a, a a death well died is beautiful it's really beautiful yeah and actually it's you that that educated me about this and started getting me thinking about how how this can be better because at the moment I mean I know we were talking about our womb and babies but just for a moment because this is an important subject that that currently we're very much still in the Victorian way that that death is handled, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Whereas, isn't it your sister who who is a death doula? And, and um, well, my sister, uh, my sister's uh, looking at bury birth, bur- sorry, burying rituals, and yeah, she's working around it. I have friends who are death doulas, and um, yeah, we need to we need to really start talking about death. And but death, like birth, was once done in the home, and. Um, I guess, you know, we can go a little bit towards menopause now because as a woman in her mid-50s, I'm now um, in the third stage of my life and I have friends who are obviously in their 70s, 80s. My father is in his late 80s. And so death is part of my life. It's part of everyone's life at all times. Um, And we need to be able to talk about it. And we were very lucky when my mum died. She died at home and we were able to keep her body at home for 24 hours after she actually died and it was so beautiful it was so special the energy was you know it it was absolutely transformative and having her body at home for 24 hours when the undertakers came and took it away they were literally taking away my mother's body they weren't taking away my mother now if that experience had been in hospital behind a curtain in a ward with half a dozen other people um they will leave you for a little while i'm sure um but then they have to take the body downstairs to the morgue it's not um it's not good form to have dead bodies in hospital wards it doesn't make everyone else feel great um (laughs) the next time I would have been with my mum for maybe an hour or 40 minutes or whatever after her death and then she would have next time I would have seen her would have been in a morgue and not having had that experience of sitting with her body as the life left and being with that body for 24 hours I think I would have been poorer for it. Um, but what was really clear when my mum did die at home was we had no idea what to do with this dead body. It was just like, well, do the eyes stay open or do we close them? What do you do with the mouth? So we ended up tying this ridiculous bow under her chin and over the top of her head with a scarf to make her mouth closed. Um, and you know, it, you know, dad was just like, dad had a, we all had a bit of a laugh going, mm, not sure mum would like this look. And then a friend <laughs> came round who um, 
friend of mum and dad's who's Irish and who was a nurse. And so she was like, oh, no, you just get a Bible and you pop it under the chin. So mum was lying on her back in the bed. And a Bible is traditionally, we just used a book, actually. Um, and you stuck it under the chin and that held the mouth closed. And then you took it away because I was like, does rigor mortis take 20 minutes or six hours or you know how long and there was no mess whatsoever and then the joy in being able to get my mum you know to bathe her body to dress her to be taken away it was such a honour to be able to care for her Um, and it made the whole experience much much easier to assimilate but these are things that people always knew like giving birth at home Um, you know you were you grew up around birth if you were um, you know, if you had aunties or sisters or siblings, someone in the street was giving birth and the women would just go there and you saw the midwife locally and the midwife was generally the one that saw you in and saw you out. So birth and death were very, very much natural parts of life, which you grew up with as children, knowing that were going on. You may not have witnessed them, but you knew what was going on. Um, and yeah. now we've become so divorced from them. Both birth and death have become these terrifying experiences that we need to bring back into life because there's only, you know, taxes, birth and death are the only certainties in life. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, you're quite right. And this is about um, educating us. And and, and like you say, just knowing those simple things about death and knowing that it's okay if, if, if someone passed away at home that you can keep the body and all that knowing how to do that would make it like you say a lot better and it it transformed the way in which you dealt with your mother's death Mm -hmm. and I think that's really valuable Mm -hmm. so let's talk periods this is something that that um, I know you believe and certainly I believe that that it should be celebrated but sadly it, it is still shamed and I know that a lot is changing and we're much more open to talking about it but still women if they're in the workplace and they're suffering from period pains it it's still it still has got that that sort of shame around it and that that, that actually we should be nurturing ourselves at this particular time and it and I don't mean this that we're shamed just by men going oh she's on the period or oh she's emotionally over the top at the moment or but also women in themselves we we get a bit frustrated and I don't I don't have this now but I certainly used to I'd get frustrated myself like oh I'm on my period this is annoying and actually if we understood the the what's happening on a I suppose, a spiritual level to us. We're shedding, we're letting go of what no longer serves us from that month. And then we're starting again that that cycle and birthing our creativity. And if we knew that, things would be quite different, wouldn't they? Indeed, they would. And in some cultures, um, uh, Japan, I don't actually know how well used it is, um, but there is actually menstrual leave available to women. Um, and um, I've been lucky enough to go into a few companies and Alexandra Pope, who does um, something called Red School, who's absolutely fabulous, um, and wrote a great book called The Pill, Are You Sure It's For You? She's done work with companies as well about educating women and companies. So when we say that if you work with your cycle, you will be more productive and more creative, Um, it's allowing women to really understand how that works. So we are cyclical. And as you said, roundabout ovulation, that's the point in our cycle when we could quite literally work late, go home, party half the night, bounce out of bed the next morning and be at 
back at our desks the following day um, with the right attitude achieving. Um, come round to the point of our cycle where we're bleeding and it's a holy miracle if we get ourselves dressed um, you know in matching clothes and arrive at the office without biting someone's head off or or stay awake at our desk for the whole day and quite frankly a lot of women are just going through the motions but when we allow ourselves to rest um, just that little bit or to stay at home and to work from home in our pajamas um, we could be so much more productive and a company or whether you're working for yourself or working for someone else if you have the opportunity to allow yourself to work with the strengths of your cycle when we bleed that's like you say we go into this creative more intuitive phase and if we're allowed the peace and the time to actually access that part of ourselves we can bring that to fruition around about two weeks later when we um when we ovulate and we can be so much more productive when we work with our cycle um but we are slowly getting there in fact yesterday bizarrely um and irritatingly my car battery died outside Screwfix and Screwfix is not my happy place I'd been sent there by my husband to get some pick up some bits um, and I was in a bit of a bad mood about that because I had a hair appointment that I've been waiting for weeks to get so there I am in Guildford outside Screwfix the car won't start I thought sod it I'm gonna run into town and get my hair done and then I will come back and get the AA and deal with this car thing so did that, waiting for the AA man, sitting in the car, reading this bright yellow book uh, on the title of which is um, Me and My Menopausal Vagina. And um, the AA man turns up and is on the front seat of my car and we're chatting away. And then even you know, he's, he was probably, I'm guessing, in his late 40s. We start chatting. Yes, his wife was menopausal. And then we were talking about his daughter. We ended up, me and the AA man, having such a great conversation about um, menopause and um, his daughter and menstruality and how he could support her in charting her cycles. And Aww. I thought... Kurt Reiki, this is the AA man, um, and I'm having a conversation with him about menstrual blood flow and menopause and hot flushes and vaginas. Um, we had such a laugh. So it is getting out there. And this is as a result of the baby boomers and the generation Xs, and I kind of fall between um, two stools in that one. Um, and we were the ones, we were the last ones to have to go through the secrecy and the shame of menstruation. And we are the ones that have then gone on and brought up our sons and our daughters to be different and to talk about it differently. Um, the fact that this man was aware of his daughter's menstrual cycle, you know, my yeah. father would not have been able to talk about my menstrual cycle um, oh no, when I was thirteen years, you know, so forty-five <laughs> years ago or whatever. Um, there's been so much work done. So boys, you know, at school we have girls and boys being educated about this at the same time. When I was at school, the girls were separated from the boys for about twenty minutes. God alone knows what we were told, um, and we were all just left more confused than than we were educated. So I have women come to me at the age of 36, 7, 8, who are career women with fabulous jobs and multiple degrees who are starting to think that they'd like to get pregnant 
they don't know how their cycle works. They don't know that an egg um, on ovulation will last for around about 24 hours. What are the signs of ovulation? How long can sperm survive in the body? What do we need to do? What, what is our menstrual cycle telling us? Why do we have painful menstrual cycles? What are we learning from that? And I'm having to educate these women, whereas Really, that should be the right of every girl from the beginning of her 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 life, her school life. All of us. I know that any mother who has um, young children, well, sons will have been hanging on to their ankles while they've been changing tampons or sanitary towels in the toilet, going, "Mummy, what's that? You're bleeding out of your bottom, or whatever." And <laughs> most of us educated women will go, "No, no, darling, that's not a bottom. That's a vagina, um, <laughs> or whatever we choose to call it." Um, so we are starting to learn about cycles and how they affect. And this is our duty to make sure that we as older women and then, you know, once click on for you to my age when you're menopausal, that's what our responsibilities are as females is to make sure we educate the male and the female population coming behind us about what this means. And now it's the Generation X's and the um uh, it, it's our job to educate people about menopause. Um, and that's, you know, that's my new passion. Just It's just staying on periods for a moment and we'll, we'll get on to menopause just after this. But how, how should we um, be treating? So obviously I have a daughter, she's almost five. So we're, we're a way off. Mm-hmm. But in certain cultures, this, it, you know, they'll have a ceremony or in the, you know, in tribes and mm-hmm. it's like, oh, you know, it's the, it's your transition to being a woman mm-hmm. and being able to create life, whether or not, you know, one chooses to or not, you have the capability. And as we say, the, the womb isn't just about birthing children. It's also about birthing our creativity. So how would you recommend in modern society, we should be celebrating this? What's the advice for me when my daughter goes through this? Do we all go have a big party or like what, what well what's I think that depends very much on the individual on the family on the circumstances it might be so um I so as a doula I've obviously been at the births of babies and I've had the absolute um honor of doing um period parties for a couple of girls who've come of age and started menstruating um I think I've done three of them now where the mum has got me back so I was there when this young woman was born and now she started menstruating and done a done a small um well more of an educational session actually and there's been tea and cakes and you know and presents and hugs and it's not been a ritual so much as um we're all beating drums but it's been a marking of the occasion and an opportunity to educate um but i think that first of all it shouldn't come as a shock to that girl and it's unlikely to in this day and age but for me it's about giving permission to young women from the moment they start menstruating that when you bleed this is a sacred time and what I love to say to families is let's have a calendar on the wall in the kitchen or wherever and have the females in the house have their menstrual cycles on this calendar because when we block out in red the three, four days, so maybe a day before the menstrual cycle starts and the first two or three days of the actual cycle, where that female doesn't do any of the household domestic chores. That woman, you know, girl, woman, 
is actually allowed to stay in bed. If it's painful, don't send her to school. If she just doesn't want to go to school, sod it, don't send her to school. If you don't want to go to work and you can take the day off, take the day off. But actually, it's about honouring every single cycle. Um, and those that that's not the time to have to do the washing up or to do the chores. Actually, she can do all those chores, um, you know, standing on her head with a broom shoved up her ass around ovulation if that's what's necessary but give the female so that's the mother and the daughters that time and if we're doing that so we're teaching the sons and the fathers the importance of honoring every single menstrual cycle not just the first menstrual cycle Um, and for me it's just like everyone is worth honoring not just that first one whether it means that you get to stay in bed with a hot water bottle you get to eat what you want you know you get to choose the channels on the tv um and to be quite frank if you're a mum and you're having menstrual cycles um if the family just has bloody cereal and toast then so be it um you know it was rest of the time we're trying to feed them organic shamanicky whatever it is but to be quite frank if they have pizzas out the freezer for three days in a row they're going to be quite happy the kids the husband can cook the partner can cook or really they can just go all go out for dinner and the mum can stay at home and watch netflix in bed um so everyone is worth celebrating and it's up to you how you choose to do it with periods marking the start of when a woman can create a baby what are your views on contraception um and and what what's the best or most natural form are you are you for natural or or how do you see well you know again every single individual has to make their own choices so what I do object to is girls going on the pill at the age of 14 15 or whatever because of painful periods or because of acne because the number of women I have met who are now 30 years old and have been on the pill for 15 years they have never had a chance to get their body into a natural cycle they have no idea because our menstrual cycle is giving us very strong messages about our health um so I certainly don't recommend it um in the early years for some women, if they are studying and doing degrees and they really have painful periods or they're having um, a lot of sex with different partners, um, then maybe the pill and condoms might be appropriate in a short term. So for maybe three or four years. The thing about the pill is, is you need to really understand and read all the um, small print is that it can um, uh, can. Uh, increase your chances of depression. Um, It can create a lack of libido. Um, It can create anxiety. So really understanding about what it is you're taking, making sure you're monitoring yourself if you are taking the pill. And so I would suggest to women that they keep a very detailed um, diary of their emotions um, linked to their menstrual cycle for maybe four or five months before and then once they start the pill continue to keep that diary and see if there's a lot of changes in the days where you feel lazy or depressed or um, anxious or antisocial and then maybe we can start to go well actually the pill isn't such a good idea Um, condoms and um, you know understanding your cycle because we can only get pregnant when we have that fertile fluid Um, but most women don't know what fertile fluid is until they start trying to get pregnant. 
Um, and then suddenly, if they haven't got pregnant within the first year, then they're reading all the websites. Suddenly, they're all about their fertile fluid. But understanding that that is necessary um, because that creates, um, that makes our vaginas alkaline. Sperm needs an alkaline environment. Um, so if we don't have that fertile fluid, sperm's not going to survive anyway. But we need to know that sperm could last up to five days. Um, so you could have sex five days before you ovulate. Um, unprotected and that sperm might just still be lurking around ready to jump that Mm -hmm. egg Um, and the number of women who get pregnant because they don't understand their cycle and that goes right up to women who are 47 48 years old um, who think that they're perimenopausal um, who do get pregnant it's you know the pill can be a really great idea. But as I said, Alexandra Pope, who wrote The Pill, Are You Sure It's For You? I would suggest that every young woman and mother of a daughter reads that book. Yeah, I think I think you're right. And it's interesting you, you, you talk about how women don't seem to know about your cycle. And I was that woman. Mm-hmm. I was suddenly then reading when I was looking to get pregnant about it. And I was like, oh, right, that's how you do it. So is this because they're not teaching us this in school mm-hmm. or is this exactly as you that. say like the mother's responsibility <clears throat> well it's um yes it's it's the, the parents responsibility um but it's also it should be in school because all we get educated for sex education is how not to get pregnant which is essentially don't have sex um or yeah. use contraception um sex i mean that's you know you i would i've got a couple of people i can recommend that you interview to talk about sex with because sex is so much more than penetration um and that's what we should be talking about school how to how to orgasm how to enjoy our bodies how to satisfy ourselves and the people that we are being intimate with it's not all about penetration um and also to understand yeah how do you get pregnant because we have apparently this um, this epidemic of infertility, which I would question anyway. Um, and uh, yeah, so we really need to understand that if we're on the pill for 15 years, we are potentially jeopardizing our fertility later on, not necessarily because we've been on the pill for so long. So science will tell you that being on the pill does not affect your fertility. But if we're on the pill for 15 years, we're not getting the signs, we're not being able to read the small print of our body that our menstrual cycles would be telling us. So if we have painful periods, if they're very clotty, if they're very erratic, if we don't get that fertile fluid, that's our body telling us that our our fertility is not in optimal health. And if we're on the pill, we don't get to read those signs. Right. Okay. That's, yeah, that's fascinating. Okay. So now let's talk about menopause. And as I was researching um, ahead of our podcast together and looking into menopause, I found this statistic and it says 49% of women experience mild symptoms of menopause. And that's nearly half of us, yet mm-hmm. much of the world would have us believe mm-hmm. that menopause is a nightmare Mm -hmm. and that suffering is inevitable Mm -hmm. talk to me about that well yeah now you've got me on my favorite subject um this is my specialist subject caller 
Yes, a bit like childbirth. Um, So we are led to believe that childbirth is going to be the most agonizing, traumatic, earth shattering experience of your life. Um, And if you listen to the stories, those are the stories that you will tend to hear. My story of childbirth was really quite boring. It was, you know, eight hours at home and I popped a baby out. Um, And my menopause is very similar. So we hear the stories of um, of breakdown and suffering and trauma, and we take that in as our truth. Whereas, like you say, at least half the women go through with just very mild symptoms for a couple of years. Um, another 25% of women on top of that may have stronger symptoms, but only for a couple of years. And it's actually, it's something like 15 to 20% of women will have really, really, really difficult times which go on for longer and end up with long-term either mental health or physical problems. And I am not belittling them. They are very real. But until we get the conversation around menopause out in the open, women aren't going to know that this is abnormal suffering and trauma I'm going through. I'm going to take this to the doctor. We do women a disservice by saying, oh, yes, menopause is really difficult for everybody. Stop making a fuss. Because for those women who it is truly difficult for, they just think, well, I'm overreacting. A little bit like those women who give birth and find it really traumatic. They think, well, I'm obviously, I should be a bit ashamed because I'm not as strong a woman as my sisters. Um, And I'm just not good enough. That's why I couldn't give birth. And that'll be the same with menopause. I'm just not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not enough. That's why I'm suffering. I don't deserve to go to the doctors. On average, women take, and I can't remember this. I'm going to, I'm pulling a number out of the air, but it's something like four or five years before a woman will go to her doctors to talk about her prolapse. Um, You know, it's something phenomenal. Um, And the truth of the matter is, if we get prolapses early, there is so much we can do. Um, But if you've been walking through your life, literally pushing your uterus back up into position, um, and you've been doing that for years, then we, we don't have the same scope of healing available to us. So that's why it's so important to not make every woman believe that menopause is this you know, one-way journey to hell, so that those who really are experiencing it as, um, as uh, you know, painful or just it, it is interfering with their everyday life, they get a chance to go, no, this is not normal, I need help. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so fascinating how, you know, as a hypnotherapist, the way in which we use language and the way in which we therefore talk to ourselves, because if we're if we have a belief system that menopause is going to be a nightmare, mm-hmm. we naturally create that because mm-hmm. that, that's how we're talking to our body. So we're almost instructing it to mm-hmm. do that. Yeah. One of the things I loved when I think it was in our first um uh, our Vigo session, and you told this amazing story or, or way in seeing the womb, and it was it, it, it included how what happens when when we have the menopause okay, and my how, story. Uh, yeah, I love this. Um, so 
Um, basically, over the course of our menstrual cycles, when we're menstruating regularly, our uterus pretty much doubles in weight and increases in size and then shrinks back down over the course of each cycle as it fills with blood and then empties. Um, but one of the other things that we do with our uterus is we use it as an organ of elimination. So um, I had really bad pneumonia many, many, many years ago, and I was using a moon cup at the time. And when I had my period, there was actual green mucousy stuff in 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 my flow so my body was doing this wonderful wonderful thing my uterus was doing this amazing thing of eliminating toxins out of my body so wow. when we get to menopause and we're no longer bleeding the uterus needs to close down because we if we leave an empty space in our body we'll fill it full of toxins and we're not going to be bleeding it out so the uterus actually um biologically physically shrinks back to an almost prepubescent size um, and so the story I tell around this is that if you take matter and you compress it and you compress it, it hardens and it darkens and it becomes like a dark piece of coal. And this is what's happening to our uterus. It's been shrunk and it's been it's hardening and shrinking and it becomes like this dark place of coal and it's black and it's hard and we don't really fully understand what this place is in our body anymore. And it continues to compress and it continues to shrink. And then that coal starts to become these red, hot, burning embers. And that's what's happening in our bodies. These burning flashes are burning through. It's a scorched earth policy. One school of thought will say it's burning through toxins. I don't know whether that's true or not, but we're also burning through things that we no longer need in our life. And it continues to burn. And as it shrinks down and it shrinks, then eventually it will become like these cold, gray embers. And with these cold, gray ashes, you'll have this feeling of really not understanding the landscape anymore and not really knowing your position in the world and not sure of what your direction is. But you sit with it because it continues to compress and it continues to compress. Because if you take matter and you compress it hard enough, just like our wombs, eventually that's how you create these beautiful shining diamonds. And those diamonds are the diamonds that are going to shine out for all the world to see, to say, look here I am a wise woman this is the light follow my light I can shine a light into your darkness and here I am shining as my diamond oh do you know as you say that I get such goosebumps and you're quite right because this is the the part in which um, a woman be becomes what what is called a crone isn't it mm -hmm. and in society again at the moment it, these this, this age of woman is shamed, but actually they're the most powerful because at that particular age of you know mid early fifties fifties, mm -hmm. a woman is at her wisest mm -hmm. and is in the best position to having gone through everyth everything she's gone through and decided I no longer choose to hold on to this and that. Mm -hmm. She is at her wisest and most powerful to then be sharing her knowledge to the younger generation. So the crone should be something and someone who is actually celebrated and revered, but that's not how it's done in our society. It's not how it's done in our society across the board. And it's up to us to take that position. And it's up to us as the wise women or the crones, which in another word could be crowned, the crowns. Um, um, and it's up to us to actually step up to it. So it's, it's up to me as a wise woman to say, what are my responsibilities to the generation coming behind me? 
where who am I going to be a role model to? Where are my mentees? And that's what I love about my work is that I get to meet young women and I get to share my story with them and share my work with them and to inspire them to be better. But this is, you know, we have a responsibility as elders to actually send a message back down to the generations who are coming up behind us. Um, and we have the time to do it as well. So no longer do I waste. I mean, I, I mean if I think of the, if you added it up, the hours that would, days that would have been wasted trying to get into a pair of jeans that were too small for me or looking in the mirror and trying to work out how to make my cheekbones stand out more with shading and what is the perfect way to apply eyeliner and all of that anxiety that I had as a teenager and a, a young woman. Um, you know, I don't, I don't have any of that in me now. I look in the mirror once a day. I you know, make sure my teeth are clean and I've just got so much time and more time and focus to actually spend on things that are important. And I wouldn't have it any other way because when you're young, you should, you know, you should be able to indulge yourself in all of those things and you learn so much. But we have a responsibility as elders, that's for the men and the women, to actually be there listening. And if there is one thing that makes my blood boil, it's this whole snowflake generation talk. Um, I, you know, I look at the young people who are coming up and I just say, thank you for being so prematurely wise so many of them um you know we we have done a lot for them for the young people who are going we've met we've put menstruality and now we're putting menopause on the map and but we've also created a ticking time bomb of a planet that they've got to save so um I don't like to knock people older than me and I really despise the word snowflake for the younger generation that's coming up because I think that they are, you know, the people that I meet um, just fill me with hope. Yeah, absolutely. And I know you've talked about the older woman feeling that sense of being invisible. Mm -hmm. um, how can, how, how would you, for any woman your age, um, transitioning into this period of their life how would you ask them to see themselves rather than this you know because at, at the moment I say that plastic surgery for women of a certain age is yeah. you know is 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 big and yeah. actually if we just own who we are and yeah. honor that we're that wise woman it would be a lot different so lots of things like oh my god you look amazing for your age let's delete that comment how about oh my god you look amazing we don't have to say for your age. She's incredible. She's a really incredible woman. She's, you know, she's in her 60s, but she looks fantastic. No, she yeah. looks fantastic. Um, yeah. The invisibility cloak in the Harry Potter uh, stories is one of the most prized possessions. I love my invisibility cloak. I love the fact that I can now go out and be utterly invisible or should I want I can go out, I can slap on a bit of makeup, I can put on some, you know, some exciting clothes and a bit of a number, um, and I can shoot my aura out into the world, and I will get noticed. Um, what I 
realize when I walk down the road with my daughter or with young women, they have that look of that's, you know, that gaze upon them all the time. It's exhausting having that gaze mm. upon you all the time. Are you too fat? Are you too thin? Are you too orange? Are you too white? Are you too much, too little, anything? Um, and I love the invisibility cloak that I have now because now I get to choose when I want to be seen and when I want to be invisible. Um, and that for me is my superpower. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your insight into the way of the womb and the woman as a whole. I always absolutely love talking to you and learning so much. And today was exactly that another opportunity for me and my listeners to hear and learn from your profound wisdom. You see, when we allow this force of nature, our menstrual cycle, to clear out our fear-based memories and dialogue and listen to our womb, we may start to commune with the great mother and the and birth even a new consciousness. Society still has a long way to go with learning how to nurture this part of ourselves, but things are changing, and it's down to women like you, Hilary, who are at the forefront of creating a new narrative for women to flourish and wombs to finally be celebrated. Thank you so much, Hilary. Thank you. Don't forget, you can purchase my book, Born to Shine, The Modern Woman's Guide to a Happier Life, on my website, catraincock.com, or at all major bookstores. Now off you go and shine your light. That's it for this week's Honestly Cat podcast. I'm Cat Raincock. Join me for more honest talk from honest women next week.